y'all. Yeah, now they're you guys are live. Which one are you listening? Yeah, good morning. There we go. Oh, I did. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. All right. Welcome to no. I just I had to Gospel Revolution Church. Welcome to everybody watching online. Welcome to the whatever edition this is of uh, sitting around the, the table and, and talking Jesus. I'm not going to do a bunch of uh, announcements, but um, we will not be meeting tomorrow morning, guys. So if you're watching online or if you're here, we're not going to meet tomorrow morning. Jim's out of town. Maurice is out of town. Um, so I just figured we're not going to meet. Um, Wednesday night, we will be meeting at the Jenkins at 630. So we look forward to that. And we're on the Zoom. If you want to Zoom in, you can Zoom in. We'll be there for that. Um, and then I think Becky's going to probably be involved in this. But we're going to start having, like, uh, do it regularly, like a regularly scheduled lunch or breakfast on Sunday, okay. whether it be, like, once a month or once every six weeks where we'll have a meal, either lunch, after service or breakfast before service the things we're weighing out is is it how difficult it would be to keep the food you know good till after service if we did it for lunch so people that know about cooking food or making food or preparing food if you could be brainstorming in your heads and uh we'll sort something out and we'll start doing that either once a month or once every six weeks it's nice to come and have food together and eat together um and just break sit, bread break bread together. Yes, it's it's nice to do that. So um, yeah, it'd be great if we could do it after, and that way we don't have a time restriction. It would be nice to do it after, just because sometimes it's nice to eat lunch and not breakfast. Or you could be eat before and after. Before and after. <laughs> Look at this guy. If some is good, then more is better. But those of you that are handy with like food and, and food preparation, be thinking about that, compile some ideas and maybe bounce them off of Becky and we'll figure something out. We'll sort something out where we can have a meal here that we don't all have to leave and go somewhere and pay for. Um, Coolers and uh, crackpots. Yeah, that was what she said because we have a little bitty refrigerator back there. It's not bring, big. Whatever you bring, you bring in your own cooler. Keep cold. Yeah. Crackpots. So um, I'm sure there's other announcements, but my phone is the camera, and so I can't access the announcements, and so I don't know what they are. So hopefully that's it. Um, it's good to be back. It's good to see all your beautiful faces. It was it was good to see everybody in ireland and holland and it's great to be back here and man it was a powerful time in ireland and holland i don't want to chew up the whole live stream talking about that because i i could um but it was as fruitful as i think it could be people were ministered to powerfully on many different levels and many different fronts um i think for me the the most powerful thing for me other than seeing people like really encountering god um because that's the, the best thing that you see. And man, people are really encountering the love of God. There's something that happens in a room when everybody comes together. And the only thing you're talking about is the love of God. But I think for me, the thing that was so nice was it wasn't like I was around a bunch of strangers, right? It was like family Yeah, is, is really what it was like. That was like the air in that place. Like those people treated me like they'd known me their whole life. And um, in Holland, I'm, I'm sitting in the living room with the people and 
It didn't feel awkward. It didn't feel like I don't know them. They don't know me. It was like we all knew each other forever, yeah. for eternity, right? And so for me, that was just beautiful. Um, because it's one thing you go stand up in a room and it's a bunch of strangers, but you go stand up in a room and the people receive you like you're their own. It was lovely. And, um, man, I think it really, uh, aided in what the Holy Spirit was able to do there. Right. Because there was no, um, scrutiny, right. They, they received me as if they knew there was no guile in my heart. If this guy only comes. As if you were the Lord Jesus. Right. That, that's how they received me. And that's what Paul said. Right? No, yeah. No, that's exactly what he said. Isn't it interesting to make that contrast, though? I mean, you go to like a family reunion or something with blood relatives. And it can sometimes it can seem like you're just sitting there in a room full of strangers. Yep. Because yep, there, yep. there is no concord. There is no communion. Yeah. But yet you come together with people that are busy about the love of God, and it's just mm -hmm. instant. Yes. Amen. Yeah. So then you had to come back to, to the like foreign country of the New Orleans metropolis, right? Yes, yes. Foreign <laughs> country. Yes, yes. And as much as I love New Orleans, which I do, I found that there are cities in Holland that are very much like New Orleans, but better. <laughs> and, exactly. And what I mean by that is they have everything New Orleans has, except they're clean and there's no crime. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, the streets, the shops, the music, the food, I mean... Um, it was it was lovely there. The people were lovely. God really ministered. And so, man, I, I just want to say thank you to everybody here because it's in us all coming together that any of that's even possible for me to even go there, for me to even share um, w the word because what I shared there is all things we've been twisting on together, what we've been sharing with each other and encouraging each other and, and building on together. And so uh, thank you guys so much for everything you do to uh, help refine the, the word here, to help support me, um, to support the ministry, to support the preaching of the gospel. I couldn't go do that without this body and all of you guys. So thank you guys so much. I think of you when I'm gone, and um, I feel like we all go together. Um, so... Well, we missed you. Yeah, I we miss you guys you. too. Well, thank you. <laughs> Glory to God. I have an announcement if it's okay. Yeah. Um, Friday for the ladies' Bible study. Um, our Barb Epperson is retiring. So we are going to be celebrating her um, after ladies' Bible study and doing a luncheon. So it's bring a dish of whatever you'd like to bring. So that's for all the ladies to come and join us. We will be meeting at Linda's house. Um, she's out of town, <laughs> but graciously allowing us to use her house, and so we'll be meeting there. So come if you can, and bring a dish, and we'll celebrate Barb her retirement. Hey, Barb is retiring, huh? We'll see how that works Finally, out for her. She's been counting down the days. <laughs> the thought of retiring sounds nice, so you're sitting there not doing anything. <laughs> it never happened to me. It never <laughs> happened to you. <laughs> That's, oh, glory to God. Retire from your paying job. Yes, right. You retire from getting paid for everything exactly. you do. Now you do it for free. Hallelujah. <laughs> glory to God. Well, what do you guys want to talk about? Well, somebody sent me something this morning, and I'll, if I can find it, I'm going to read it to you, and then I'm going to tell you how I responded. What, what this person shared. If you don't take ownership of your struggle, 
your struggle will take ownership of you. And I responded, better yet, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. He has me and my struggles. Mm. Yeah. Good job. Very good. <laughs> this is a quote from a local pastor to take ownership of your struggles. Whatever that means. That's then that's kind of the issue with that statement. It isn't like it? Worldly gibberish, like right? what does that mean right. to take ownership of your struggle? Because I mean, on one hand, I could say taking ownership of my struggle means that I need God. Right. Right? And I need God to serve me with life. Right. I need God to minister to my heart right now. Right? I need God to show me what he done to hide me and him and him and me. Yes. Right? right. I need him to uncover that for me. To me, taking the way I took that quote, take ownership of your struggles, is to strive. Yeah. You know, toil, toiling and striving and struggling and burden and, you know, all that. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't want us to take on all that. Right. He wants to, us to know that he's got it. Right. We can rest in him knowing that our struggles aren't ours. They're his and he's already taken care of it. Yeah. Yeah, it's it it, it kind of goes along with the um, the idea of accountability, the the accountability partners, right? As yeah. if accountability right. is going to be the power unto you having life, right? That's not really the power unto having life. I mean, accountability. I don't know if I see something in my life that's the fruit of death, I start talking with God about it, right? And I start talking with God. Uh, about it, knowing that if there's the fruit of death in my life somewhere, it's because I feel lack in some area, or I feel like I don't have what I need to have life. And so then I start talking with God about how this isn't the fruit of your life. Right. And then I start talking with him about how there's no lack and how the, the, the life that I'm longing for is found in him and what he's done. And I just get caught up in that. Right. But this accountability thing, um, you don't really find that kind of thing in the scripture. I guess the closest you could get is if one of your friends thought that gossiping and backbiting was the fruit of the Spirit, and then you would be like, nah, bro, that's not the fruit of the Spirit, you see, right? And you might just tell them so that they would know that's not the fruit of life, but... Like submitting yourselves one to another. Like, yeah, I think that that's accountable. Be accountable to one another, but if you're accountable to people that is telling you to take ownership of your problems... And you don't want to be submitted to people like that, you know. That's anti-Christ, you know. They're going to be leading you. I would like to say that I take those issues directly to God when they happen, but I don't because it's only in retrospect that I understand. Yeah. Sometimes he'll come to me with the issue. I don't, okay. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I got a little story about, uh, you know, you, you hear this uh, Question FOMO. You ever hear FOMO? Mm -hmm. I didn't know what FOMO was. Was that a new drug? FOMO? I don't know. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. FOMO is an acronym for fear of missing out. Yeah. I go up to Charleston earlier in the week with a buddy. Uh, we got some standby passes. We get up there. And we, I want to look at this particular uh, building because of the paint colors. I want to copy the paint colors. I didn't have all the paint colors. And that's, that's one of the reasons, motivations. But I, I really just wanted to have some fun with a friend. Anyway, we get up there, long story short, try to rent some electric bikes. Both, both our credit cards get a fraud warning and we our credit cards get shut down. Okay. Canceled. 
I'm pissed off. And because uh, I wanted to ride around this historic district, it's pretty big, and now we're gonna walk, and I got issues with my feet, issues with my back, and I'm not, I'm not a happy camper. So, let's walk. So we're walking down the street, and I look at this house they're doing some construction work on. Now, fear of missing out, right? Mm -hmm. Like, damn, we're not going to be able to see everything we're going to be able to see because we're going to we got to walk. So I look at this house, and they're doing something with the structure that to reinforce it. I'm not familiar with what they're doing. There's a guy standing there. I said, what, what is it that they're doing here? And he said, nah, we're talking, and where are you from? And he said he knew one guy in Mandeville. He said, what you doing up here? I said, well, I'm up here with a buddy, blah, blah, blah. I really want to look at this house down the street and uh, find out about the paint colors. He said, oh, yeah, I painted that house three years ago. <laughs> <laughs> this is the painter. <laughs> he had a gallon of the paint in his truck he offered to give me. Whoa. I said, this is unbelievable. We start laughing. It's like, this is, this is God telling me, you're not going to miss out on anything. I mean, this is a, a worldly example, but the, the point is we think we're going to miss out. But as you have heard here, with eternal life, it's impossible to miss out. Exactly. Now, you, you might not be able to intellectually reason that through to be convinced, but there's some things you can have happen in your heart where God persuades you. Right. And, and it's just like, it just put me instantly at ease. It's like, I can't, I don't have the energy, the foresight, the ability to bring about the right set of circumstances to satisfy myself that I'm not missing out. But that God, but God can treat me to a funny little experience where I'm reminded, son, don't worry, it's impossible for you to miss out. Yeah. And this guy actually texted me with the paint. He said the name of the paint, the brand of the paint, and it was just like, oh told us how he applied it. He put a bonding agent in it, and all these things I would not have ever known. And we not would not have met the fella had we rented the bikes. Yes, right. Because we would not have been walking. That would not have stopped. Mm -hmm. At that point, did you feel like Father was taking good, good care of you? Yeah, I just felt kind of. Uh, uh, at first, I felt kind of uh, like. Uh, forgetful child it's like so easy to forget when you get this uh -huh. set of things you want to accomplish it's so easy to forget that uh you know where life is found you know and i was telling my friend it reminds me of you know the scripture says our, our life is hid in christ well the converse of that is our life is not found in fill in the blank. Our life is not found in being able to rent an electric bike. <laughs> our life is not found in being able to do, fill in the blank. Whatever you think the blank can be filled in by this world, that ain't where your life is hid. Yeah. Right. That's not where your life is found. Right. You want to know where it's found? It's found in Christ. Hid. Oh. Not hidden from our sight. It's that it's contained within him. Yeah. And so if you're struggling with something and you find you're struggling with it for a, a, a period of time, it means that you think your life is hid somewhere other than Christ. Exactly. And that's why it's tormenting you because you're feeling in some area of your life you have lack. Right. And what's happening is you're trying to satisfy the lack you feel through something in the world. Right. And that's how you could find, quote unquote, a struggle. Right. Where you're struggling with something. A lot of people struggled with fear during COVID. Well, were they struggling with fear? 
and would be taking ownership that they're struggling with fear, would that now be the power unto them being set free from their struggle with fear? Of course not, mm -mm. right? And so, I mean, I, I guess in one sense, you could a person could be filled with fear and then they could try to justify that the fear is good. And you could say, take ownership of your struggle, meaning just acknowledge that this fear isn't working life in you. It hasn't come from above, right? I guess in one sense, you could say it that way. But if you're struggling with fear because of the COVID or because of the things that were happening during the COVID, all those things would be trying to communicate to you that your life is under duress. Your yes. life is suffering harm. There's something in the way of you having the life that you need. There's something in the way of you having the peace and the love and the satisfaction that you need. Look at all these things, right? And then you would be struggling because you would see that your life is hid in what's going on in the world with COVID. Right. Right. And so you could be struggling with all those things. You could be aggravated. You could be angry. You could be frustrated. You could start being upset with everybody. You could be struggling with all that. And the the reason you would be struggling is because the world has come and convinced you that your life is hid in these things. Right. right. And it's not even that they have to convince you. You could just be stung for a moment. It's not even a convincing. Right. A, a, a forgetting I mean, a forgetful hearer is just that you've forgotten to hear the word in that moment, right? And, right. and, and even if for a period of time, it causes you a sting. Well, the, the, I don't know that I judge that to be something wrong. At some point, you want to remember the perfect law of liberty. Yeah. And you want to remember how God got it right to liberate your life from being held in the world. Right. And how he got it right to hide your life in him. Yeah. Right. And from now on, when you're looking for the testimony about your life, and whether or not you have everything you need, you behold that testimony in the Lord Jesus, right? And you see that in Jesus, there is no lack. In Jesus, there's no spots or blemishes. In Jesus, there's no sin. In Jesus, there's no darkness. In Jesus, there's only a life that consumes sin and death and all darkness. And then you start receiving of his ministry. And his ministry is that of an indestructible life, where he will minister to your heart an indestructible life, right? And that will push out all the feelings of lack, all the feelings of confusion, all the feelings of struggle and fear, it will push it out because there's no room for that left in an indestructible life. In fact, those things can't attach themselves to an indestructible life. So he comes and ministers that to your heart. It's like a healing bomb. And then it just calms everything down. I, I think in Ireland, one of the things I said about to the people was about FOMO when I was just going off. I think that came up because of the kids, right? Fear of missing out. And in contrast, at the end of the trip, we couldn't get a flight home. We couldn't rent a car. There was no train. We slept in the airport. We took the megabus home. It didn't bother me at all. <laughs> it really didn't bother me at all. Yeah. Whereas before, at the beginning of the trip, not getting an electric bike really made me mad. Mm. <laughs> it was, was kind of comical. So in the context of this, because something we do here, we don't just throw out things. Right, we come and try and give shape to them, yes, so we could see what it would actually look like in the context of this. What would accountability look like if I'm struggling with something? Let's say I'm struggling with something, Jared and I are walking together, he sees me struggling with something. What would there be for him to do if he was my accountability partner? What would that look like in light of knowing the truth now? Right, well, that's what in, you want to in think accounting, of. Accounting, you know, anybody who's taking accounting, you, you put things in the right column, right. So you would put fear in the column of death, right? And you'd put uh, freedom in the coming of life. And so you could do that kind of accounting. 
Right. Right. That's good. You, you right. can identify like where cool. things come from yeah. and where they belong. And then you can say, as Moses told the people, choose life. Which column do you want to live in? Death or life? Yeah. Choose life. Choose life. That's about a column. Choose death and or choose death. And you can look at it in the context of realizing that we can be forgetful hearers. Right? In the moment of struggling with something, we're hearing the word that comes from death. We're hearing the word that comes from the world. And that word is trying to give a testimony to us of our life. Right? Like it's standing up in the courtroom of our heart and it's testifying and it's trying to accuse us. It's trying to point at our life. It's trying to tell us we don't have what we need. And in that sense, Jared, it's like what Galatians says, let such a one who is spiritual restore their brethren in the spirit of meekness, right? So if Jared saw me struggling, he would realize, well, what I'm needing is to be reminded of the perfect law of liberty, yes. right? And he would come in the spirit of meekness. Well, what's the spirit of meekness? The spirit of meekness is you're not looking at your own strength or the strength in the world to serve you with life, but you're looking at the strength of God and the thought that he's taken to nurture your life and care for your life and pamper you with his life. And in that moment, you're forgetting about the swaddling that's come from the hand of the Lord, right? And you're beholding yourself essentially in blood still. Yeah. And so your friend, the way they would hold you accountable isn't by coming and accusing you for your bad behavior or pointing at your nakedness. They would come and talk to you about what God has done to clothe you. Yes. They would come and remind you of the good shepherd. Right. They would come and talk like the good shepherd would talk, right? The father is your shepherd. He's hedged you about in himself right? He, his life is the door. Wolves and thieves can't get in to steal from your life. And he would come alongside and remind me of that, right? That would be what a true accountability partner would look like. Exactly. That's what James would be talking about when he says to confess your faults to one another, right? The fault would just be your weaknesses, the weakness that you're feeling, the lack that you feel, the pain that you feel. You would confess it to one another, not so you could have some type of abs absolving, like we think of in religion, but so that they could come and remind you what sort of a man you are. As James says, you're not doers of the word. You're forgetful hearers. You beheld yourself in the perfect law of liberty, but then you went away and straight away forgot what type of a man you were. And now you're living as if your life is made up of the dust of the ground still. You're living as if you're just earthy. You've forgotten that your life is of a heavenly substance, that you've been begotten again from the word of truth, which is Jesus Christ and the life he has in himself. And so the friend would come along and remind you about the life you have, where it's come from, what kind of a life that it is, what that life does. We have an experiment of what that life does. Look what it did inside the body of Jesus, right? It was a consuming fire inside the body of Jesus. What did the life he have in himself do? It consumed the death of the cross. It consumed all the sin of the world that came upon him. It consumed it so much, it left it to the place where there was none of it left. And that's the kind of life we have inside of ourselves. And that's the kind of life we forget about all the time when the world tries to give a testimony about life. And the world is testifying of the life it has in itself. That's all that it can testify of. Yeah, a carnal friend would say something like, man, you shouldn't curse, you're a Christian. Yeah. Right? That, yeah, we, I, have you ever heard that? I've had someone tell me that. When I, back in the early 90s, when I got born again, I, a friend told me, you know, I think people would doubt that you're a Christian the way you curse, and because I, you know, I curse a lot. 
and that, that that affected me. And you know, I was in, I was uninformed at the time, and I worked on my cursing. <laughs> Unless you're in dairy. <laughs> but anyway, the point is, uh, it, that's the contrast. You, someone, but my friend did do that. But uh, they 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 uh, put your eye on your behavior to enlist your own ability to attempt to modify your behavior. Because that's what they're operating under. Right. Right. Does everybody understand what accountability would look like if we want to use that language? I don't like that language at all because that that language re reeks of robotic relationship. It, it reeks of using willpower to try to bring about life yourself. It doesn't speak of like friendship. What right? is that? The shame and condemnation that comes with it. Manipulation. Yeah. That's the kind of thing when you're trying yes. to manipulate the fruit Absolutely. of the Spirit. Right. Rather than just understanding the gospel and then walking with one another recognizing see we can't even really walk with one another properly in the body of christ because we don't even know what brings forth the works of the flesh and i don't mean you and me because we've gone to great lengths to explain that so we're not like how is this happening i mean we know exactly what's going on we know that the works of the flesh come from a person's heart being stung with death yes. and them thinking they're separated from some good thing they need for life and now they're enlisting their own members to try to gather that life to themselves so in knowing all that we can walk with one another we can come alongside one another when we see that happening and we can speak spiritually Right? Instead of carnally, where we don't come and point at the behavior and say, fix the behavior, but we come and take an axe to the root of the death that's working in their heart to bring forth its fruit. Yes. Right? right? And that's how you walk with one another. Yeah, that's the, that's, that, that's uh, God holding death accountable. That's right. That's right. You hold the death accountable. I think a big thing is uh, it's deceiving. I can't remember exactly what you said. What take take responsibility? Said something like that. Be accountable. Ownership. You know take what I mean? Ownership. Own, yeah. Own Turn it. these stones into bread. If you are the son of God, you know that's that's the temptation. Yeah. That's right. the lie. That's from the beginning. You take know, ownership stay, of your struggle. Yeah. Right. Take ownership of your struggle. I mean, it's so deceptive. You know, to, to get out there and to, you know, be your own God. For many years, my Christianity left me in the place where God had given me everything, and now it was up to me, to the to my ability to renew my mind, to my ability to manifest all that God had given me in the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. And then so when you hear something like, take accountability, take ownership, it's like, of course, I have to get my confession right. I have to, you know, but all of that was taking up you know was not taking up the cross it was taking up your own life in the world it was right. not it was turning the stones into bread it was denying your sonship and your right mm -hmm. unto the spirit you know and i think an account of the whole accountability thing was always rejected because that would be in line of you know like a works thing or a worldly thing Nowadays, I think, like you were saying, an accountability would not be a good thing as long as you're being accountable to people who know God, and that would lead you back to God, lead you away from turning stones to bread, right. you know, but it's just hard, you know, it's like, um, that that was never there, you know, you never really had anybody you could trust like that. Yeah, because there was nobody that was spiritual. I mean, right. notice Paul doesn't exactly. say, let everybody, 
right? He says, let those who are spiritual, right? Those that can discern what would be going on in the heart, let them come along. And then even in the spirit of meekness, right? right? Understanding how life comes forth and it isn't come forth by our own desire or our own ability to bring it forth. Right. Yeah, yes. That can actually speak to the heart and what's going on there instead of judging the flesh. Right. Judging people after the flesh. No, you look on the heart, and you understand what's going on in the heart. Right. You see that in some area, this person is feeling like the first man, Adam. This person is feeling naked in some area of their life. And they've gotten caught up in trying to clothe themselves in that area, because after all, it looks good for food to be clothed, yeah. and it does not look good to not be clothed, right. right? And so now, being spiritual, you can see that dynamic in their heart, and now you're looking past outward behavior, and you're seeing what their heart needs is to be clothed in the life of the Lamb, right? And now you start looking at the area that they're being tormented in, and you start coming with the life that's in the Lamb, and that's spiritually they're being clothed, right, right. in their heart, yeah. and that puts their flesh to rest. Mm. It leads them beside the tender green grass. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And you see all that in the Lord Jesus. Yeah. I mean, he was put to rest on the cross. I mean, why, how was he put to rest on the cross? You think he had a big problem? You think he had something testifying to him that he didn't have what he needed for life and godliness? Yeah, just death. I mean, do you think, do you think that he was hearing that? Yes, absolutely. I mean, they were telling him he separated from God. Yeah. He was telling him, they were telling him he wasn't the son. And so the cross there was given a testimony to Jesus, right? And so he was having a struggle there, if you want the, to say it that way. The, the cross in that point of telling him to be responsible for his own life. That's right. To take up yeah, your that's own good. life. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. That's exactly what the cross they was were saying. telling him exactly what the quote was. be the son of God. Yeah. yeah. Get yourself together. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. Come on, man. Take ownership. Do something <laughs> with your life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and then the Holy Spirit would come wow. in because there was no one that was spiritual when Jesus was nailed to the tree. He was the only spiritual one. So so then the Holy Spirit would come in yeah. and begin to, to testify inside of Jesus's heart. Right. The Father is your shepherd, right. right? He's hedged you about in himself. The life he has in himself, he has given that you have that life in yourself. The Father hasn't just hedged you about in his life, but the Father is the door. His life is the door that will keep out these thieves and these robbers and these wolves from being able to ravage your life. And so then Jesus would have been put to rest, right? By the revelation that the Father had hedged him about with his life, right? Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. The shepherd would go put the rod over the doorway and it would keep wolves from being able to come into the door. And so when it talks about the shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd, it's describing Jesus. And it's, Jesus is describing how he was kept from the torment of the death that was happening by seeing that the father was the shepherd of his life and all that that meant. That the wolves, that the bulls of Bashan, that the thieves and the robbers that were coming for his life, they wouldn't be able to steal his life from him because his life was hedged about in the father, right? And his life was kept by the father. And so that put him to rest. It made him to lay down by the tender green grass. And that's the same thing we would need to hear yeah. when we're being tempted. Right? I was just thinking that uh, I'll just be transparent that I just feel like I'm just beginning to learn about the cross. You know, the depth. You know, it's just like you can't get to the bottom of it. And I was just thinking that 
can you imagine a more extreme example to demonstrate the contrast between the faith uh, of God in Christ and how it supersedes the supersedes death the faith of the world yeah. yeah and then i was thinking then okay well maybe if you weren't being tortured but then you were watching your child being tortured mm -hmm. but then that's exactly what was happening god mm -hmm. was watching his if you think of the three persons in one god was the father was watching the son being tortured yeah. and still his faith was withstood those circumstances because life yeah. he saw it through life yeah he didn't live by the knowledge of right. good and evil he lived by the knowledge of the life he has in himself, the yeah. knowledge of himself, yeah. right? I think someone just posted a clip I did from the, the message about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Imagine if God had judged himself and whether or not he was a good father by the death that manifested in Adam and the death yeah. that manifested in the earth. If he would have judged himself by that. Imagine if he had done that, right? <laughs> but he didn't. He knew what was good and evil, but he didn't judge himself. Neither did he judge Adam by the knowing of what is good or evil, right? And so he knew what was good and evil, but he didn't live by the knowledge of good and evil. He lived by the knowledge of himself, the knowledge of the Son of God, the knowledge that was revealed in the Son of God, the knowledge of the life that he has in himself and how that life even overcomes death in the flesh, right? That's how he judged everything by Amen. But Jared, you talked a lot about the the sin of Adam, and so it got me to thinking about the the undoing of of Adam, right? In in the context of those verses you were reading in Romans five, right? You know how a lot of people on the earth talk about the undoing of Adam, mm -hmm. and then you have people arguing that will say, well, the work of Jesus far exceeds the work of Adam, and they get into all this confusion. So listening to you got me thinking about that. I mean, how do you see the, in light of what you said about sin, the sin, right? I think is how you said it. Mm -hmm. How do you see the undoing of Adam? Or is there a different language you might use? The undoing of Adam? How do I see that? Like as far as... The undoing far? of the sin of Adam. The undoing of the sin of Adam? Uh... I don't know. Put me on the spot now. Um, I can barely get through a message, much less getting being put on the spot. <laughs> but you you did talk about the sin, right? In yeah, Romans the five, sin. and how that was. I would say it to you like this. I was thinking about this during this week, and just to make things more, because like you just said, I'm just now starting to be able to understand the cross. You know, once you start to see the truth, it's just like, then it, you're just beginning the journey. You know, it's not like you're going to find one concrete definition of what is the atonement and boom, and that's going to be sufficient because there's so many layers. There's so many ways you can look at it. There's so many dynamics going on there to where it, it's almost like it turns every time you look at it and you see it and then you got it and then it turns. And then you're like, you have to go look at it over here. Holy, and holy, holy. Get it over there. And it's like this thing. It's like it's just this exactly beautiful right. thing that's constantly moving and you're constantly just watching it and all these things are unfolding. But I would look at it like this just a simple way of explaining the gospel. 
Okay, if the garden is the image of a temple, the God would take a temple, they would place their image in that temple, and they would am animate their image with the life that that God had in themselves. Right? This is a pattern. We see it out through history. We see the same pattern happening in the garden. God places the man, his image in the garden, or you could say that word image could be used as an idol. He would place his image. He would animate that image with the life that he has in himself. Well, that image got corrupted. Adam was no longer animated with the life of God. Adam was animated with the God of this world. And so the idol, the image of God, was now animated with death. Yeah. And so he took upon and he was clothed in that body of death. He was Adam started to image the Satan yeah. and the Satan's death and the Satan's sin. In his body manifested the curse. And it didn't come from God. It came as the result, as the fruit, as the wage of the serpent and his system of death. His perversion of the truth. He took the truth and perverted. No, God, God wants you to take up your own life, you know? God's not going to give you all things that pertain to life and godliness. You, by your own hand, are going to produce the life and godliness. Be responsible for your life. You know, turn the stones into bread. And it's a very subtle thing. Why would it be wrong? Why would God care if I turn these stones into bread? Why would he care? You know what I mean? It's good to have bread. It's good to have something to eat. That's why it's right. a struggle for us to see why that would be bad. Right. And so the undoing of Adam would be God on a mission to now reclaim his image in order that he can now animate his image with his life. Yeah. And that's what we see. And that's what we see in, in the resurrection. God restoring his image in the man Christ Jesus, filling him with his life, the life that was from the beginning that God had prepared mm. for man from the beginning, before the world ever began. Mm. <clears throat> and, and that's just a simple way of looking at it. That's just a simple way of, of describing the gospel. God had to die away the first image that was created after the image of, of Satan, after the image of death. And he raised up a new image, yeah. created in his image, after his likeness. And now that image is seated in the heavens. The spirit that raised that man from the dead has been poured out on all flesh. It's in the earth as a truth, as a word, testifying to all mankind that you see the life that the man Jesus was raised up to. God, this is the life that you were originally created to have. This is the life that God has promised all men. Yeah. Oh, Amen. And so then you see the two images set before you. One of sin and death, one of life, you know? Yeah. So. It, it, yeah, and there's so much you could say about all of that. Yeah, and how 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 did the undoing happen? You know what I mean? Because it, it, the, the, the cross fulfills so many prophecies, and there's so many different ways you can talk about it. And, yeah. 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 But just simply, that's what I would say. God created man for immortality. God can't create man in a state of immortality. Immortality has to be entered into, you know, through the spirit of God, through faith. And then man fell, God restored the image. Yeah.
Yeah, he restored his image also. Yeah. When Jesus sat down at the right hand of God, it cast out the accuser. And it wasn't just the accuser of the brethren, it was the accuser of God. And what was the accusation? That God has not given you everything that's needed for life and godliness. Right. He has kept something back from you. Right? That was that was what he said to Eve. Right. Did God really tell you you can't eat from every tree? What kind of a God would keep something from you? Right? As if he's holding back. And so then God reveals what he has in his hand to give you in the glorified man, Jesus. And then you see the fullness of God having manifested inside of Jesus. And you're no longer confused about what God has given you. Right? And you don't see anything in Jesus that's lacking. Right? You don't see that, well, there's something not present that you need for life and godliness in Jesus. You see the fullness of the glory of God manifested in Jesus. Sure. So it, it destroys that accusation. Yeah. Now, it's interesting that you say it that way, because I guess my thoughts about it were biased because I, I was twisting on the modern arguments about, you know, the work of Jesus and the work of Adam and all the universalism and everything. Right. So I, I was, when you went into that, Augustine, the sin and all of that, um, I started thinking of, well, what is the work of Adam and, and what is the work of Jesus? How did the work of Jesus undo the work of Adam? Right. And I started looking at what did Adam, what did Adam's work bring into the earth? And so then how would that be undone? Right. Cause there's, that's a popular phrase that's used in the earth, the undoing of Adam. Right. And, and so just theologically speaking, you could, you could say a bunch of different things, but theologically speaking, the work of Adam caused death to reign over everybody. Right? The sin of Adam caused death to reign over everybody. Death reigning over everybody in the scriptural sense doesn't just mean death is present. Okay? Because death isn't reigning over me now. Okay? And so death reigning by the work of Adam would mean that not only did death enter the earth, but no one had access to the tree of life. And so the tree of life was marked off now. Because like, like Jared said, if you're the image of someone, that means you were created to be animated by them with their life. And so even just being called the image of God, it's a declaration to you that you were created with the intent that this God would bring forth his life in you by his doing, right? But Adam was intimate with the serpent. And so Adam began to be intimate with the serpent and the serpent's wisdom. And that brought death into the earth. It joined mankind to death. Mankind became married to death. Once mankind became married to death, God couldn't grant eternal life to mankind's union to death. So now the tree of life is marked off. So by the disobedience of one man, Adam, guess what? No one could partake of eternal life. Nobody. Nobody could access the tree of life because of what Adam did. And so in Adam... We all lost access to eternal life. We all lost access to the tree of life. I think some people think in Adam, we lost immortality. And, and they build their whole theology from a crooked beginning. Adam didn't have immortality. Right, right. Adam was naked. The scriptures talk all the time about either being clothed upon or naked. Paul talked about desiring not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be clothed upon. And so being clothed in the scriptures is talking about you have eternal life already. To be naked means that you don't have eternal right. life. 
And so Adam didn't have eternal life. He didn't lose eternal life for the world. If you think Adam began with eternal life and you think he, what he lost is eternal life, the natural conclusion be, would be by the work of Jesus, everyone just has eternal life now, right? You don't have to believe to have eternal life. Everybody just has, <laughs> right? Which we know isn't true. And that death can overcome eternal life. And that death can overcome <laughs> eternal life. You can lose it. It's, it's so interesting when I think about these things, how incongruent all of our beliefs are, yeah. right? In the body of Christ. Right. Because you got a whole section of the, the grace message that says you have to have faith to have eternal life. Well, I agree with that statement. But then they describe Adam in the beginning as not needing to have faith to have eternal life. Like he was just created, already <laughs> possessing eternal life. But I thought we had to have faith to have eternal life. But this guy didn't have to have faith. And so Adam, in Adam, everybody lost access to the tree of life. Adam wasn't eternal yet. He didn't have immortality. If you read the, the oldest, one of the oldest, most respected Hebrew uh, scholars named Rashi, if you go and read his exegesis of Genesis and the man Adam, what he says is, is that Adam was neither created in life or death, but that Adam was created with the potential to transcend a purely natural existence into an eternal existence, or he could return to the dust of the ground, yeah. right? And so Adam partook of the tree of death by his work. That's the work of Adam. By the sin of one man, Adam, all people lost access to the tree of life. So from that perspective, what would the undoing of Adam be? Every human now has, access. now has free access to the tree of life. Right, right. By the work of Jesus, by the righteousness of the man Jesus. Now, what would be the righteousness of the man Jesus? And I'm just using theological terms here for the benefit of people that don't understand the scriptures. The righteousness of the man Jesus is that the law was fulfilled in him, right? If you want to say it that way, and I'm going to say it in a way that will change probably what you think the fulfillment of the law is. At the end of the day, the law was given so that a person's heart would cry out, Abba, into your hands I commit my life. It, it, it was given so that a person would have one God, the Lord their God, and they would have no other gods other than God. And the reason why they would have one God, the Lord their God, is because they would find every desire they had for life satisfied in this God. And so there was no other thought that could even come to them about how they need to satisfy their own desire for life. So they would end up taking no thought for their life, because they would see in the law that this God has taken thought to give their life all the care that it needs, and there's no more room for needing to be cared for. And so out of them seeing that, this person would cry out, Abba, into your hands I commit my life. That would be the fulfillment of the law. That's the righteousness of the man Jesus, is that when he came into the earth, he took on the body of death that Adam built by his work, and in the place of having that body of death, he didn't live by the death that he had. Neither did he live by the knowledge that death was evil. He didn't judge himself. He didn't judge God. But he saw that God was the shepherd of his life, and that put him to rest on the cross. And so the righteousness of the one man Jesus is, in the place of being clothed with death and needing to have life, he didn't try and gather life to himself or clothe himself with life. He cried out to Abba. And that's when he says, it is finished, Right? That's when he says it is finished. Well, what's finished? He just undid the work of Adam. Right. And that's why the veil was torn. Right. And that's why the cherubims are etched on the veil that was torn from top to bottom. He undid the work of Adam, meaning the tree of life that was kept from all humans because they had been joined to death by the work of Adam had now been undone by the work of the man Jesus because now he just divorced everybody from their union to death. 
He divorced everybody from their union to the work of Adam. And now the tree of life is available to everyone all over again, right? And we have access to that tree of life by what? Faith. What faith? The faith that was revealed in the Lord Jesus Christ, which is that what? That in the presence of the Father is the gift of eternal life. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. That's the Father's hand. That's what he has to give you. And now that hand that we see held out, the Father's hand, the Father's right hand, with the Father's life, the life that he has to give us is right there. Man, that draws us to God to partake of the tree of life. Because he is the tree of life. The tree of life is in the holiest place, where God is, the presence of God. And how are you going to come to that tree to eat? How are you going to come partake of that tree? The faith that was revealed in Jesus Christ is going to pull you to that tree because it's going to show you what God has in his hand to give you. And then you're going to come and eat from it, right? <laughs> yeah, and the temple was set up in such a direction to mimic the Garden of Eden. They were sent out eastward. You would go back into the temple. So it was because they would look at it as this is the entrance back into the Garden of Eden, yeah. where God dwells in the presence of God. Yeah, yeah. The, the 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 holiest place would be the Garden of Eden is the place where heaven and earth intersected, right? Right. And so that was the place where God and man met because it was the place that intersected. The temple demonstrates that because the holiest place is where the high priest and God would come together and meet, right? right? It was a picture of them walking in the cool of the day, right? Yeah, I think most people see, well, in Adam all died, so in Christ all are made alive. And they, they take that and they strip your individuality from you and just saying all are, all are in Christ, all will be saved because all died in Adam, all are saved in, in Christ. Yeah. But the reason all died in Adam is because they lost access to the tree of life. Right. Right? Like the sin of Adam's not going to keep anybody from the tree of life now. Right. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Right? Like no one's going to die because of what Adam did. Nobody is going yeah, to perish the, because of what Adam did. Yeah, the judgment, the condemnation that came into the world on Adam has been removed, giving access back to the tree of life for all people. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Does that make sense? Yeah. The undoing of Adam? The Because you, you can get confused if you don't understand what Adam did and the effect that it had on the human race. And then what did Jesus do? And what effect did it have on the entire human race? And people, people are woefully ignorant of how to explain all these things. I, just to, just to use radical language that'll upset a bunch of people because of all the people that get upset so much about all the language. <laughs> Nobody is in Adam. That's right. If anybody was in Adam, they couldn't even come home to eat from the tree of life. Because in Adam, the tree of life was crossed off. Nobody could come to it. So if anyone is in Adam, they don't even have the right to eternal life. We couldn't even preach the gospel. So it said, Paul says that we're standing in grace now. Every single person is standing in grace now. Unbelievers are standing in grace now. What grace? The grace that came from our Lord Jesus Christ, the righteousness of this one man, Jesus, has made the gift of eternal life available to everybody. We're standing in the strength of what he accomplished. Everyone is. You don't begin to stand in the strength. 
You're in the strength of it now because you could come freely to the tree of life. You could come freely to God right now yeah. with nothing in your way. Yeah. And that's why Paul, he says, we're standing in the grace now. Unbelievers are in the grace of our Lord now, standing in it. And we have access to it or we become intimate with that grace by faith. I have a question. Right? So Adam starts out naked. He joins himself to death and gets clothed with death. Jesus undoes that work, and now uh, we're no longer in Adam, but we're not until by faith we're persuaded to receive life. We're not in Christ. No, we're in Christ, but Christ is not in us okay. till we believe by faith. Okay, that's what I want your clarification yeah. on. So, our, so uh, uh, should one uh, die now not having received eternal life, uh, they would return to the dust. That's right. Because they're not clothed with life, right. eternal life. Right. So does that mean that uh, having been divorced from death, they go back to being unclothed? Having been divorced from death, they're they not took, joined to death. So they, they're not clothed with death, but we have this body of death. So the power of no, death, everybody's going to do one of the works. There's no, there's no in between. There's no, I didn't choose the tree of life, or I didn't choose the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Everybody will have chosen, right? So there's nobody that's just in between, and they're going to end up perishing because they're in between. Well, so. So now would you say a person who hasn't received eternal life and hasn't died yet, would you say they're clothed with death? Yeah. You'd say they're clothed with death. Well, if they, if they haven't received eternal life, they're dead in sin. They're in sin. There's no in-between, right? That's what I find confusing because you said no one's in Adam. No one is standing in the work of Adam. They're standing in their own unbelief. Yeah, no one. I, would, I, I think I would say it like no one... The sin of Adam, the condemnation of Adam has been removed from all mankind, right? And now the life that Christ has made available is available for all mankind. And so God removed all men out from the sin of Adam, restoring them all into life. He reconciled the world to himself, granting man access to himself, right? Access to the tree of life. If they don't receive that life they will be they will die with the condemnation of the first adam not receiving the life even though they aren't condemned aren't necessarily condemned to the life that adam was condemned they'll, to. they'll die in the likeness of the first man's condemnation they won't die in his condemnation they'll die in their own they will have taken their liberty and eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil their death will have no bear what adam did will have no bearing on any person's death and the, only yeah, people like will the, die at the hands of their own rejection right. of the truth yeah. right but yeah, there is no in between right either you've allowed That's yourself to be persuaded or you've hardened your heart right there's no in between everybody's heart is going to right. make it uh be persuaded of something right does that make sense I mean, I'm hearing you. I can't say it's really registered. Yes, I, I, yeah. I'll, I'll do some twist on it. It's like what Paul said in Galatians. He said, only use not your liberty as an opportunity to the flesh. Okay, so we've all been set free from Adam. So in the beginning, Adam had what? Two trees. He could eat from the tree of life or he could eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, he ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and what happened? He died. Okay, well, we've been set free from that. We're back to where Adam was before he ate. Now we have both trees in front of us, right? We each have the same sovereignty that Adam had over himself, okay? 
And so it, I'm going to take my sovereignty and I'm either going to receive eternal life as a gift or I'm right. going to reject eternal life and I'm going to choose the life I can gain by my own strength. Well, that's not anything Adam, nothing Adam did is going to condemn me to death. It's me using my own liberty to now eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that would condemn me to death. So that's not the condemnation of Adam. It's not what Adam did. It's me and what I chose, right? That's why it has nothing to do with Adam, right? So when you say in Christ and Christ in you, the reason why we would use the language in Christ, if we want it to be technically accurate, is because everybody is standing in the work of Christ. Otherwise, none of us could come to the tree of life. So everyone is in the work that Christ has done. The question is, is Christ in you, right? And I think it's Birdie that used this example. Um, we'll jump back to uh, the previous president, Donald Trump, okay? And this isn't to be political, it's just to use an example. Every American, whether they liked it or not, was in Donald Trump. When he went off to different countries, when he went off to different meetings, yeah. he represented America. That's right. right. And all of America was in him, whether they voted for him or believed in him or liked him or not. Right now, there's some people that they actually believed in Donald Trump and they loved him and wanted him to be their president. Well, they weren't just in Donald Trump. Donald Trump was also in them. Right. Do you see what I'm saying? So everyone's standing in Christ. They're standing in the work that he's done. They're standing in the grace, the strength of what he's done to give everybody access to the tree of life. So everyone's in Christ. The question is, is Christ in you? Right. And the way Christ would be in you is if you believe on him, right? If you believe on what he's done to serve you with life. Now you're not just standing in Christ, but now Christ is in you by faith, is what Paul would say, right? So nobody can be in Adam. You can be dead in your own sin. You can't be dead in the sin of Adam. You're, you can be dead in your own sin, right? Somebody online just chimed in with this verse in Jeremiah 31. 29 and 30, it says, In those days, people will no longer say, The parents have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Instead, everyone will die in their own sin. Whoever eats sour grapes, their own teeth will be set on edge. Yeah, exactly. Which is what I'm saying. Yeah. And it would be unjust. If anybody died because of Adam, it would be unjust, right? That would be unjust, which is one of the main arguments of the universals, right? And so then they don't understand the dynamic of G G Jesus restored everything we lost in Adam. Do you know what we lost in Adam? Access to the tree of life. And so that's why the work of Jesus superabounds over the work of Adam. Because even though there was all kinds of offenses that came in afterwards, it wasn't just the offense of Adam. All of those offenses, Jesus undid everything and everyone has access to the tree of life. Right? And nobody can stop that. Right? And nobody can claim, look at what Adam did right? This is why. Yeah. No, 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 no. What did you do, right, with the knowledge of the truth? Because everybody will have the knowledge of the truth. When the foundation's twisted, you come to all kind of erroneous conclusions because I think one of the bases of universalism is to assume that Adam did have eternal life yeah. before the fall. And uh, something that just really came to my attention a couple of months ago when God shows up in the garden after the fall, he said, who told you you're naked? And 
the reason it stood out to me is because I was taught all kind of erroneous things because I was. I was taught that Adam did have eternal life because God created him an eternal being. They would even go into all this stuff about, have you ever noticed that a human is the only animal that doesn't clothe himself from the inside out? That's right, because Adam was clothed in the glory of God. It was emanating from the inside of him and all this stuff. But when God shows up in the garden, he said, who told you you're naked? But notice what he didn't say. He didn't say you're not naked. In other words, I see something coming out of you that I didn't plant there. Something else God didn't say to Adam was that you'll be suspended in the lake of fire, even if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, until you eventually believe, and thus you'll be saved anyway. Right. See, if you, you don't look at eschatology that you can't find in Adam, right. you don't judge because there's a whole lot of people called ultimate reconciliationists now that will say that. And their whole premise is that Adam was eternal to begin with. Their whole premise is that humans are inherently eternal. Do you know whose word that is? That's the devil's word. The original yeah. lie. He told them that they wouldn't die. Surely would not die. Yes. That's a lie. Humans are not created already possessing eternal life. We're created needing eternal life from God, right? And so God didn't say to Adam, well, in the day you eat from that tree, don't worry about it because I'll suspend you in the lake of fire until that purifies you and you eventually believe and thus everyone will be saved. No, he told Adam that you'll re- you'll go to the dust of the ground. You'll die in the day that you do that. And I, one of the messages I preached in Ireland, and this was a very nice guy. So this isn't to disparage this guy. It's just to highlight this argument. I preached a message called uh, The Fathers in the Room, and the guy was so fired up about it, you know, and he was so excited. And he, he, he says, man, if you'll just go all the way now and just see how everyone will ultimately be reconciled. I said, well, explain to me how you see that being sorted out. He said, well, in the end, they'll be raised up and they'll, they'll sit in the, the, the lake of fire until they're purified. I said, well, how are they going to stay alive if they don't have eternal life? I said, by what life are they going to remain alive while they're in the lake of the fire if they don't have eternal life? You see, and the, another thing is, if they haven't believed before the day of judgment happens, are they still going to be there after the day of judgment? After everything has been judged, and and you know what I mean? No, and that and and that's just it. The guy hadn't even considered that humans didn't start eternal. And there's a lot of popular. Uh, quote-unquote grace preachers right now that I think are very nice people, but they begin their theology with humans are inherently immortal, and that messes up the whole message, and they get everything wrong because of that, right? And so they they end with all these things that are confused and perverted and not understanding the gospel. And it's a nice message, man. They still preach a nice uh, God is love message, but if you don't understand that humans aren't inherently immortal, then you won't understand that death is the problem. You won't understand what the solution is, and you'll never actually be able to preach a message that sets people free from fear and that fills people with the love of God, right? You'll preach a message where they feel nice in the moment, but they won't be kept as they walk in the world, right? Does, does everybody see that the un, what the undoing of Adam is? Nobody can be an Adam. Evangelical Christianity has gotten it all wrong by teaching any of us that we're in Adam. None of us are in Adam. We're standing in the grace of Christ. Everyone is standing in the grace of Christ, and we have access into that grace. We are intimate with the strength that comes forth from his life by faith. 
That's what gives us intimacy, right? By faith. That's where faith comes into the picture, right? So salvation isn't found in being in Christ. Salvation is found in Christ being in you, okay? And Christ dwells in you by faith. That's where salvation is found. Christ can't dwell in you. Christ can't dwell in anyone outside of faith, okay? That's the only way that Christ can dwell in a person. It's through the persuasion of the heart. It says, out of the heart flow the issues of life. God created man with that intent. God knew the only way a person could actually partake with him in his life and everything that he is, is if they had the ability to believe unto that life. They, he realized that was the only way this life could come forth. It wasn't like he rolled the dice and said, well, let's see how we're going to do this. You can see that with what I was saying earlier about the image being animated by the God. How yeah. is that animation going to take place unless it's through a shared spirit yep. or a shared belief or a shared union with that God? Right. And that could just be faith. Yep. I'm so glad that you've clarified that only those who believe have eternal life. Yeah. Because most any Christ, Christian church in the world teaches you're either going to live forever in heaven or you're going to live forever in hell. Yeah. You're only going to live forever if you believe in Jesus and you're going to live with him. Those who do not believe in Jesus are not going to have eternal life in hell, period. That's right. They're going to return to the dust of the ground. Yeah. That's one of my very favorite things to talk about. And I can't tell you how many people I've talked to about this that just like go, oh, you mean, you, you mean if you're not saved, you're not going to live forever in hell? No, you're not going to live forever. You're not a, eternal or immortal unless you believe in Jesus. Yeah. Nobody is going to live forever in hell. No one. All right. How is hell going to live forever? How is death going to live forever? They both get through into the lake of fire. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, how is death going to live forever? We don't even think about the things we believe or the things we've been taught. And that's one of the biggest problems in the body of Christ yes. is that we don't critically think. And we, we don't even consider the things we think and, and how incongruent they are, yeah. right? It's the devil that said you won't die. So now we're telling people they won't die. They'll live forever, either in hell or in, in heaven. But that's what the devil said. The devil's message. It's the right? devil that said you don't need God to live eternally. It's the devil that said that, right? It's not God that said that. Wow. And the and, other funny part, part about it is people who don't know any scriptures only know one. And that's the only one you have to know to be able to understand what I just said. John 3, 16. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes has everlasting life and will not perish. Yeah. So that's the, I mean, that's it. That's all you need to know. Yeah, perish. Whosoever believes. And, and, and that, that framework that was developed, what it did was it lent itself to the gospel. If everybody's already going to live forever, what it did was, what because we don't even think about the subconscious effect these beliefs have on our reasoning. But things you believe are not just innocent. They affect the way you reason and the foundation from yes. where you reason from, whether you know it or not. I mean, somebody told me once, well, we were, arguing, we were talking about being for the, the belief that Jesus was forsaken. And they said to me, well, believing that God forsook Jesus, has it never hurt me. I said, do you presuppose that you would even know? Do you know everything that's hurting you right now? And, and so you, you can't even understand the far-reaching effect. It's like you don't know what's in the junk food. Exactly. You, 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 just because you don't think it's hurting you doesn't mean it's not hurting you. 
But the whole idea that that the gospel is about humans are already inherently eternal, and it's just about where you're going to live, from that foundation, the message of the gospel got perverted in Western theology because that's when we turned it into it being about God being angry with us, yeah. right? Because if it's not about saving people from death and they're already going to live eternally, right? And they're either going to live eternally in a state of eternal conscious torment that God is the one upholding, that God is the taskmaster of, then the whole gospel becomes about an angry deity that needs to be appeased now, yeah, right. Right? right? Because you already have people living forever. And so what's the cross about? The cross is about saving people from this angry deity, right? right? It's about saving people from what this angry deity is going to do to them if they don't believe for all eternity. Yep. And you don't even realize that, but that's all you're left to go if you start with they're already immortal. But if you begin properly and say, no, God didn't, God couldn't create Adam with eternal life already. It isn't possible. You could only receive it by believing mm -hmm. on, on God. Then you see that Adam wasn't eternal. And so you could see that the problem for man is that they're dying. It's not an angry deity. Right. And now you start understanding everything God's done is to conquer death in the flesh. Yeah. And now everything starts making sense. And now you start seeing the gospel for what it really is. That God, just like Jesus said, came that we might have life, right? right. He came that we might have life. That means we didn't have life, <laughs> right? We didn't have eternal life. Then say he came to save you from eternal conscious torment. Right. That's not what it says. <laughs> and that's not what God said would happen to Adam. He said, you'll return to the dust of the ground. Right. That's what he said to Adam. Yeah. He even refused to let Adam eat from the tree of life, right. thus testifying that he would not allow man to live in an eternal state of death. Yeah. yeah, that's the reason he set him out of the garden. I mean, that's the whole reason why he wouldn't let Adam come eat from the tree of life now, because he wasn't going to let Adam's union to death now be blessed with eternity. Right. That wasn't punishment, that was mercy. It was mercy. And I think part of the universalist position, they think this faith, because faith has been so perverted in the earth, they think faith is this hard thing for people to believe unto yeah. a merciful God. As if the, the thief on the cross had such a hard time, you know, seeing that, confessing Jesus and being saved, even, you know, on his dying breath. No, I mean, you just behold faith. Yeah. That's one of the reasons why I hammer so much about what faith is. If you actually preach the faith, the, the thing, well, there's so many things we could say. I, I don't want to keep going on about it because Thursday was uh, the the day that Jesus would have ascended Pentecost. to the right hand of, of God. So 40 days after Jesus was raised from the dead, he ascends to the right hand of God. Ten days later is the day the Holy Spirit is poured out. So does anybody have any thoughts in the last... 20 minutes about the ascension of Jesus and its significance. Sounds like you do. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. That could be another hour. Don't waste time. Let's get it out. <laughs> well, I want to let some people offer up some thoughts if they if they have any. The the the, the ascension is often overlooked because we think we see Jesus say it is finished, and so we think somehow it was finished there, right? Not understanding the context of what Jesus was saying when he said it is finished, because if Jesus would have never been raised from the dead, then there would be no life for us to grab a hold of, right? And and so 
the, the statement of it is finished doesn't mean the whole thing was complete yet, right? And if you see Jesus, I think it's in John 20, where is it Mary that saw him? And Jesus said, don't grab on to me yet, for I have not yet ascended. Yeah. Well, he didn't, wasn't talking physical grabbing on. He was talking about there's something else that's going down here, right? And yes, I'm here walking around, and you're very happy about that, because that means I came out of the grave. But there's something else that's going to happen. That's what you're going to want to grab a hold of, right? And that was talking about the ascension of Jesus. So it's like a pillar in, in the faith. It's a pillar in the way, but you don't find many people talking about it or the significance of it. Jesus said that he goes to be with the Father to prepare a place for us, that where he is, we might be with him also. It's interesting language that he uses there because he says where he is. He doesn't say where I will be. Right. So I go to prepare a place for you that where I am already, that you might be there also. In that Greek word, it speaks of something that would happen, something that it's like a continuous action that's happening. So Jesus is saying, I'm going to prepare a place for you. There's many mansions in my father's house. If there wasn't, I would tell you. And I'm going to prepare a place for you with the father that where I am, you might be also. Now, what did it say about Jesus in the beginning of John? It said that Jesus was in the bosom of the father. Okay, so Jesus was walking around in the earth in the bosom of the father, right? He was in the heart of the father. He saw what was in the father's heart for him. Yeah. He saw the thoughts and intentions that the father had for his life. He saw the life that he shared with the father from the beginning. Jesus said, you are from below, I am from above, right? And so Jesus came down from above and he was in the bosom of the father, the heart of the father. So he saw the life they shared <laughs> together. He saw the father was his shepherd. To Jared's point, there's a million different ways you could explain the gospel. Right now, I'm on this kick of explaining the gospel in eternal life with the perspective of the good shepherd, right? Jesus saw the father is the good shepherd. He saw that he's hedged about. The father has hedged my life about in himself. His life is the door. His life is the rod and the staff that's keeping the wolves and the, the thieves and the robbers from coming and stealing my life. That's his life. That's where Jesus dwelled in the earth. John, in John's gospel, Jesus also says that he abided in the father's love, right? He, he saw the love of the Father in what the Father did to hedge his life about, right, in himself. That's where he saw the love of the Father. And so Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. I'm going to ascend to the right hand of God so that where I am, you can be also. Yes. So that you can be hedged about, so that your heart can be kept from the accusation of the evil one, so that your heart can be kept from the accusation and the death that's in the world so that that death doesn't get lifted up in your sight mm -hmm. and so that God and his life are all the time lifted up in your sight. So this is what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about going to be with the Father. There's going to be a dynamic that's going to occur when you see yourself in him seated at the right hand of God. And it's going to have a powerful impact in your life in this world. It's supposed to have a powerful impact. The same impact that... We see in the Lord Jesus when he's walking around in the earth because he saw his life seated in the Father. We see ourselves in our life seated in him. How did our life get there? By whose doing did it get there? God. The Father. So it's God that put our life there. What does that tell us about the thoughts and intentions of God's heart towards us? That they're good. Oh, good. What does it tell us about how this guy will be with us? 
Because where was Jesus when he came and grabbed Jesus and put him there? Dead in sin. sin. Whose sin was he dead in? Ours. So what is it declaring to us? It's declaring to us what God intends to do with our life, even should he find us dead in sin. It's actually unveiling what's in God's heart for us. It's unveiling the beauty in his heart for us to where there can be no more confusion. There can be no more misunderstandings about what's in this guy's heart for your life and what he intends to do with your life and how he intends to do it. Right? So Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father. What does it say about what happened when Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father? It says the accuser of the brethren was cast out. So, you know, the accuser of the brethren had nothing in Jesus when he walked in the earth. Do you know why he had nothing in Jesus when Jesus walked the earth? Because of what we just said about Jesus seeing himself and his life hid in the Father. And so every time the death in the world tried to accuse the Father to Jesus, do you know what would happen inside of his heart? That accusation would be cast out. Because he saw clearly, because he came from the Father's bosom, he saw clearly what was in the Father's heart for his life. Yeah. He saw clearly the Father wouldn't suffer him to see corruption. The Father will not leave my life in the grave. Right. The Father, the life I share with the Father from the beginning is going to pick me up and clothe me. And so every time death came to Jesus and tried to accuse God to Jesus, that accusation that would come against Jesus' heart would be cast down mm -hmm. based on what he saw about the Father and the life he shared with the Father from the beginning. Every time death tried to accuse him and tell him he came behind something he needed for life, that accusation couldn't be rooted in his heart. It would be cast down. Why? Because he knew he was from above. He knew the life he had came from above. It didn't come from the earth. So every time the devil tried to tell him he was separated from some good thing he needed for life, he looked to the Father and he saw his life is hid in the Father and the Father is hid in me. He says that in John, that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me. That's what he's talking about. And so that kept Jesus's heart from the accusation of the evil one. And it made it to where the accusation could never have anything in him. So the ascension of Jesus is doing the same thing for us that was happening in him when he walked the earth. And if you go read, I think it's John 16, Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit when it's coming to the earth. He will convince you sin, righteousness, and judgment. Righteousness, because I go to be with the Father. Righteous, whose righteousness is the Spirit come to convince you of? God's. Yes. God's integrity towards your life. Right. Because you're going to walk around. All of us, all of us in here are old enough to have had the integrity of God questioned in our heart by some bad thing we've seen happen. Right. All of us. Every single one of us has seen some bad thing happen in our life to where we heard something telling us, is God really good? Is he really with me? Is he really caring for my life? Why do you think we hear that? Right? So Jesus was raised from the dead by the hand of the Father as the human being that died at the hands of our sin. So he was dead in our sin. That's why we're supposed to see ourselves in him. And now we see what the Father did with his life. And that convinces us all of the time as we walk in the earth of the Father's righteousness to care for our life. It shows us the thought he took to give our lives the care that it needs. And now the death in the world can no longer tell us accuse God to us because we see he even came and gave us a life that overcomes death. You're talking to me about this death that's coming against my life, but the father has given me a life that overcomes death. 
So how can this death speak evil of him when he came and conquered death in the flesh? And so now the father is kept from the accusation that comes from death, right? And so now my heart is no longer thinking I'm an orphan or that he won't care for my life or give me the care that I need. My heart is all the time gravitating towards the father because I see his righteousness towards my life in the ascension of Jesus, the glorification of the man Jesus, right? And I see this happen by the hand of the father. And this is what is in the father's heart to do with my life, right? And then... Of judgment. Why does he say of judgment? Talk about the ascension, yeah. the spirit coming down. Just the ruler of this world. Just Judged. And what, what is the judgment against the prince of this world? I mean, you could go on and on and say a bunch of things about the judgment of the prince of this world. But one of the primary things that's declared is that he's a liar. Yeah. And that the word he decreed about God is a lie. It's a lie. And that the word he's testifying about you is also a lie. Yeah. And you see his word judged in the body of Jesus Christ. Every time he tries to tell you your life is evil, you see your life in Jesus and it tells you your life is very good. And it keeps your heart from the accusation of the evil one. It casts it down. Even. That's the righteousness of God. Yes. Paul's talking about in Romans 1. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed and how we see and pick the man. You, you know, he's connecting that with the heart. One believes in the righteousness Romans 10, because you believe that God raised him from the dead, meaning he's going to raise me from the dead, you know? That's right. Yeah, yeah that's right. So Put on the new man created in true righteousness that's and right. holiness. We see what, how he picked the man Jesus up, you know, and transformed his life and set him at his right hand, you know? Yeah. The ascension. Guys, I don't, I, I don't want to harp on the... I don't want to say the bad part, but the fact that darkness can be present. But I do so that we understand what's going on. Mm -hmm. As we walk in this world, guess what? The things in this world are all the time trying to assault our hearts. Yes. And they're trying to assault our hearts with accusations. They're trying to accuse us and our personhood. They're trying to accuse God. And they're trying to accuse all the people around us. Right? The ascension of Jesus casts down those accusations. It keeps your heart from those accusations, mm -hmm. is what it does. And it keeps your heart from these lies being able to be planted in the soil of your heart. Yeah. It's God tending the garden of your heart, or the garden of Eden, because that's the place where you're walking with God, right? Our heart is the garden of Eden. And it's God tending our heart through the ascension of Jesus Christ, right? Mm. Does that's that make what... sense? Yes, yeah, one thing they found in all people groups across the whole world that they all, regardless of their religion, regardless of their belief in God, they deal with this problem of lack and self-accusation. Isn't that ironic? Isn't that fascinating? How all people across all the world, regardless of their beliefs, deal with this same issue of lack. Yeah. The same issue of I'm not quite leveling up, I'm not quite enough you know mm -hmm. yeah the, the accusation of the <clears throat> and that's why the the accusation uh the accuser of the brethren the lie of the serpent yep. and the removal of the body of death is the removal of the accusation God rebuking the accuser, 
and he rebukes the accuser by giving the fullness of his life. And in the presence of him giving that, no accusation could stand. Right? Because how could the serpent accuse somebody else to me if I can't be convinced that they can steal something from my life? How can he accuse me if I'm convinced I have a life that can't be stolen from? He can't. How can he accuse God to me if he can't convince me that God hasn't given me everything that's needed for life and godliness? He can't. And so that's how he casts out the accusation from our hearts. He gives us of himself his incorruptible life. And it wards off the accusation. Right? And the life that animated Jesus in his resurrection and ascension. It would be continued to live as if that never happened. Yeah. Or if that's not true. Or if we did not see God animate a human being and seat him at his right hand and de declare unto us the promise of, of righteousness and everlasting life. The guy that was dead in our sin. If we right. didn't see that. Right. right? Yeah. That's, that, that's the ascension. And that, that you, have, you want to understand, that's why none of us like it when we don't think we, when we see something that isn't consistent with life. That's why we can feel so condemned or tormented, because there's an accusation that comes from death, right? And it's trying to tell you, you ain't as you ought to be, God ain't as he ought to be, and neither are any of these other people around you as they ought to be. Right. And now you've got a big problem. Right. And, and that's where it comes from. Like Jared so beautifully pointed out, it comes from the death. It tries to speak against God. It tries to convince you that you're a lamb without a shepherd. Right. Because if you're a lamb without being led away to the slaughter, that means there's nobody shepherding your life. So this slaughter that you see happening, it must mean you don't have a shepherd. Right. And then God comes and reveals what we've done to shepherd our life. Right. And then that starts dwelling in us. And it starts rebuking the accuser of the brethren. Just like Michael comes. And is it, is it Zephaniah or Zachariah? The Lord rebuked you, Satan, when he came to stand opposed to Joshua, the high priest. It makes a point to say he was standing in dirty clothes. That's the body of death. Filthy rags. Satan was there standing opposed to him. And he was accusing Joshua based on what he was clothed in. Right? And then the Michael come, the Lord rebuked you, and it clothed him in something completely different. Is this not a brand that's been plucked out of the fire? That was that all that stuff happened physically and in reality, but it happens in our heart. And the ascension of Jesus Christ is God actively, continuously rebuking the accusation of the evil one. It's continuously rebuking the devourer. It's continuously the Lord declaring, let him who stole steal no more. Because the only way he can steal is by convincing you God isn't as he ought to be. The only way he can steal is by convincing you that if you have eternal life, you're still not as you ought to be. And that's why the gospel comes to convince you that you have everything that pertains to life and godliness. That's why it comes to convince you of that. Because it saves you in the day something happens in your life that tells you you don't have everything. Right? Which of which lots of things will come and tell you you don't have everything. See, then what happens is dis things can change from disappoint from from being uh, life and death to you could just feel disappointed it went down that way, right? But then you move on, right? It doesn't shape your life. And as long as there is a man seated in the heavens, men always have access to the throne of grace. That's right. 
You know, there's never a time where God can't forgive me this time or I can't go to God. Because I, I dealt with that repeatedly getting in trouble after I became a Christian. I would get in trouble again and again and again. And, you know, knowing a little bit of the grace of God kept me to where I knew I could keep going back to God, keep going back to God. You know? Yeah, because that's what that human declares. That's what it talks about. We have access into grace by faith. Mm -hmm. Jesus is the substance of the faith. So we see Jesus at the right hand of God. We see he was dead in our sin, and the Father saw fit to go pick him up out of our sin and stick him in his house for all eternity. You know what that tells us? We belong in the house. Right. And not only do we belong in the house, we have a seat of honor in the house. And so now we're constantly coming to the house, right? Like, I, I ain't coming to somebody's house that I don't think I'm welcome there, right? And even like one of my friends, I remember a couple of my friends, I love their moms now. But their moms were kind of like uh, drill sergeants, right? And we'd be afraid to go knock on the door because it's like, what's going to happen if we knock on the door, man, right? You didn't even want to go knock on your friend's door because you were afraid of what was going to happen there. How much more so, God, if we don't think we're welcome in his house, if we don't see that there's a place of honor in his house, how much more? But that's why the devil, had, the devil only has something in us through accusation. His accusation sounds like him telling you you're separated from something you need for life. Him telling you God hasn't given you everything you need for life. Him telling you somebody else is separating you from something you need for life. That's what his accusation sounds like. And he's doing that to tempt you to try to gather the life you now say you don't have by your own strength. And that causes your body to be animated with his life or his death, which is why you would then see the works of the flesh, right? Hmm. That's his intent. That's how That would be the condemnation of Adam. That yeah. would be the work of Adam, even though they're not standing in that work. If they continue to react, you know, as Adam reacted, they'll eat the fruit yeah. of that life. They partake in the same thing as the old man. Even though the heavens are now open. Yeah. But think, that that's the, go ahead. I was going to say, that's where a lot of people miss it in the undoing of Adam. Because the undoing of Adam was the removal of death. Yeah. But then God went even further and now restored man back into union with Christ and then opened the heavens. And now man is seated in the heavens, you know, yeah. making making it a surety that heaven and earth will be joined together yes yeah because you see it having happened in his body right that's right. a more sure word of prophecy so god was always from the beginning man was going to be seated in the heavens adam messed that up christ restored that and then further took continued the plan yeah you know going back to thomas's question earlier about so is mankind now back in the same position that adam was in naked with a choice to go either way it's the condemnation has been lifted but you are still clothed in the old man until you put those clothes off put on the new man yeah so even so even though the condemnation's been lifted you can walk out of the prison cell the door's open but even when you walk out you're still clothed in death the old man has to be put off and put on the new man yeah, the, the, the important part is that the condemnation doesn't come from Adam. The, the condemnation comes from death. 
right? In your choosing death again. Yeah, and Jesus said, and this is the condemnation that light has come into the world, but they love their own deeds. Exactly. That's that's. I, the, I, I, I don't need your clothes. I like the clothes I got. <laughs> and I think the light that he's talking about there is the the life we seen animated yes. in the man Jesus. Yes. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. In him was life. And right. the life was the light of man. Yeah. yeah. But that's the ascension, which becomes like a side note. Right? That's Jesus. Right. That's the crescendo. It's the crown. Yeah. That, that's, that's what actually guards our heart from the accusation. We, we had to see the fullness of the glorification of God inside of a human body right. in order for us to actually be persuaded that we have everything that pertains to life and godliness and for us to see that God held nothing back of himself because we see the fullness of God having manifested in the body of this man, Jesus, yes. declaring to us what is in the Father's heart to do with our life, what he actually has done with our life in the person, Jesus. And that keeps us from the accusation, yeah. right? And I can't say how much that saves me. I'm telling you, there's things that happen in this world that will make you upset and make you want to say something and do something or lay hands on someone. <laughs> there is. So this isn't about how we're going to get to the place where we don't feel disappointed or we can't feel grief. What we're talking about will keep our hearts from the accusations being able to take root in us. It'll keep our lives from being born from lies keep our lives from being born from lack right it's not the testimony of how you won't feel lack otherwise the devil will use that to accuse you sure yeah. he's a slippery little accuser you'll perceive the presence of feeling disappointment as you don't have something right. and then you'll judge yourself for that right. right but jesus himself felt disappointed you can go read about it in isaiah right and there he is he's lacking nothing that's why i hammered in ireland about you have a sinless life you have a sinless life. That's what everybody wants, is a sinless life, a yes. life that can't be corrupted, that can't be stolen from, that has no spots or blemishes, that comes behind in no good thing. And if you don't think you have that, then the devil could come and accuse you and accuse God. Where's your God now? Well, you want to know where he is? He's inside of me, and I'm inside of him, right? And the fullness of his life is in me, right? And now the, the accusation gets cast down. You guys see that? That's what you want. A sinless life. That's what you want. That's what you're created to have. That's what God has. Guess what God came to give you? A sinless life. Guess what he's trying to convince you of? That you have a sinless life. That you have it now, even though it's not yet seen in your mortal body, even though you still see death in this world, he's trying to convince you now that you have a sinless life. That will keep your heart from the accusations of the evil one. And if you want to say, well, how can I have a sinless life? Well, whose life do you have? The life I have is the life I see in the Lord Jesus Christ. The life, that's the life the Father has in himself. That's my life. Do you see any sin in the life of Jesus? Well, didn't Jesus say, let your treasure be in heaven and not in earth? Where moth and rust cannot corrupt? We know what he's talking about? Your life. Yeah. Yes. He's talking about wherever you look for the, the testimony or the origin of your life, let it be in heaven and let it not be in earth. Right. And he says, how great will the darkness be that animates you if you're looking for the testimony of your life in the world, in things that are corruptible, because you'll always behold your life as being full of spots and blemishes. Right. And then the accusations will take hold. How can God let me have spots? How can God let this come upon my life? He didn't. He came and gave you a life that swallows everything that could come upon your life. That's what he did. I got one final comment. I kind of feel like I ate a big meal and I need to digest now. That's not my comment.
My comment <laughs> is uh, um, it, it's almost no, it's not as if it's that God has put on display this irrefutable evidence yes. that I don't fully understand. But if I keep looking at the evidence, I will come to understand it. That's right. And that's what beholding Jesus is. You just keep looking at the evidence and the evidence will do its own work in your heart to persuade you of the truth of God's love towards man. Yeah. And the fact that I don't understand this irrefutable evidence as much as I'd like to now is is uh, it's understandable. It's understandable. <laughs> uh, but it's encouraging because just keep looking at that irrefutable evidence. Just keep beholding Jesus. Keep beholding the work of, the, of God on the cross and the death, resurrection, and ascension because that's what Paul said. That's all I want to be about. He, he added the ascension in there too, right? Yeah. That you hit on today. So it's, it's, I that, it's that's what Paul excited. would call the hearing of faith. Yeah. And so we could say a lot of things about a lot of things. We'll say it easily this way Accusation has no ability to be planted in your heart unless you think you don't have something you need for life. So if, if your heart is persuaded, I have. A perfect life. Accusation has no power to get in your heart. So what God come to do is give you a perfect life, right? A life that's so perfect, even should the tribulation in the world you see around you come upon it, this life is so perfect, it will even swallow it from the inside out and leave it to where there's no more remaining, right? Because that's what a perfect life would have to entail for us, because we're in a, a world where there is death. And so simply put, our hearts are kept from accusation by being persuaded, we have an incorruptible life. And the only way our hearts can be susceptible to accusation is if something can convince us our life can be corrupted with moth or rust. But even when that accusation is planted, it can be uprooted. Yanked out. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so it's like, that's not something to... It's not irreversible. Lament. I mean... No. Is I think some people could think that, you know, you feel that planted in your heart. You can still have hope unto that... Absolutely. Being removed or worked out or. Yeah. From the same way, through the hearing of faith. The hearing of faith takes an axe to the root of everything that is inconsistent with life mm -hmm. that's tried to get in your heart. That's what it does. It takes an axe to the root. Right. Right? Yeah. And even, I mean, listen, I wouldn't, we're just explaining dynamics. So you, you don't want to take what we're saying here. And then judge if you hear an accusation to think that means the accusation planted in your heart. Jesus still heard the accusations. So we're not describing the dynamic where you'll never hear the voice of the accuser anymore. What we're describing is a dynamic where your heart will start to discern the voice of the stranger. Right? Jesus said, I am the good shepherd and my sheep know my voice. Right? right? And so what you'll you'll start hearing the voice that says how you come behind and no good thing. Your life is hedged about in me. You'll start hearing that voice, right? In the presence of the accusation and you'll start to discern. But just because you hear an accusation doesn't mean it's planted in your heart, right? Yep. I think the more you walk in this truth, you'll find the spirit come up inside of you, resisting that accusation, discerning the truth from the lie, you know? Yeah, showing you what's that real. Was gorgeous. The displacement. Yeah. That's what Paul said. He mm -hmm. talked about the spirit intercedes. Right. 
That's what the Spirit intercedes to do, to show you what? The ascension, right? And it shows you that you're not a lamb being led away to the slaughter. God isn't far from you, right? He condemned death in the body of Jesus' resurrection, right? Nothing can separate you from the love of God. And you actually, it's no longer verses that you read, like you feel it now. Yes. Like it's no longer, those are no longer verses that I read. Like I understand, like the spirit of wisdom and revelation has brought that forth inside of me. And to Callie and Thomas's point, there's only one, if you wouldn't even want to say it this way, there's only one good thing I've ever done in my whole life with God, which is a lengthy life with God, is I just kept hearing the faith. I just kept hearing the faith. Jesus, Jesus said there's one thing that's needful. Sit at his feet. That's hearing the faith. Right? So you hear the faith, you behold the faith, and to Thomas's point, he used the word evidence, which would be consistent with beholding the faith. Mm-hmm. That evidence will work in you. All you do is make yourself available to hear it, to behold it, yeah. to talk about it, all those different things. Paul said it this way, the, the spirit that worketh miracles in your midst and ministereth to you. Did he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? So whatever miracle you need in your life, whatever ministry you need in your life to be performed, the way God performs it is through the speaking of the faith. Jesus is his voice. And so now we'll find those things ministering to us as we hear the faith. That's why I harp on that. Keep hearing the faith. Man, we're a fickle people. We don't want that. I don't want it. Okay. Well, I'm just saying. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know? Annette posted on Facebook yesterday. She said, the hearing of the word of Christ contains within itself more than enough power to persuade your heart without any help from you. <laughs> yes. Yeah, without any help from you. you right. <laughs> right. It has to be that way. He's God. Right? He brings forth life in us. He actually calls forth life in us. The way he calls forth life in us is through the declaration of the faith or the spirit of faith. That's how he forms, right? And that's what he's forming in us. He's got to shape our hearts, right? But anyway, Jared's message was fantastic. That was fantastic, your message. If you hadn't listened to it, you should go back and listen. Everybody, every Christian in the world should listen to that message. Every Bible college should be playing that message and trying to understand what is this guy saying? We need to teach all of our students this because... It was just so beautiful. It was beautiful just on its own, but it was beautiful to see what God's done in you with the scriptures, the way you were pulling the scriptures from here and there and, and, and putting them next to each other. And it was just masterful. Cool. It flowed so beautiful. Um, thank you so much. Um, yeah. The Ascension. Glory to God. Well, thank you guys for coming and joining in. Good. Yeah. The hearing of faith. Thank you guys for watching online.